Episode four of the Better Than Average podcast. Took some questions on social media. I've got a practice note in here, some audio, some things that are happening at practice that you probably didn't know that I think you'll find interesting. And I'll talk about one player who you better get an eye on now because he's not going to be here long. On to the NFL sooner than later. Better than average. You play football. Football? Oh, no. Juggernaut of a podcast. Better than average. Like a radio show that's not on the radio. Coach, it's a great day for you, huh? Yeah, it's better than average, I'll tell you that. (laughs) And here's your host. American hero, man of few words. You're not a liar, are you? Quiet, I am rolling. All right, welcome in. Thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate you uh, subscribing, stopping by, listening, however you're tuning in wherever it is apple spotify maybe at the the home uh site there at fireside but really appreciate you tuning in again just to recap got a few things for you here um got some questions that came in on social media put out a feeler right there uh talking about one key bulldog who is it's not only maybe your best player on the whole football team but he's certainly probably the next in line to maybe even be a first round draft pick we'll talk about who that is a key injury on defense. Some Mike Leach thoughts for you. Um, if you follow me on social media, you'll know what that's about. Uh, we had There's some commentary out there that's a little bit disconnected that's just frankly not accurate about him, and it happened earlier this week. And so I'll uh, dip a toe in that, even though you probably know what's coming. And then next, I'm the first thing I'm going to do, though, is let you hear an observation I had at practice this week, and I thought, you know what, I bet – I bet most of our fans don't know that this happens at practice, don't know that they're doing this at practice. That is really cool, in my opinion. I think you'll find it cool also. So that's what we'll do first. But first, let me tell you about Mississippi Land Bank. This podcast is sponsored by Mississippi Land Bank. Land Bank. Visit them online, mslandbank.com. If you're in North Mississippi, anything land-related – Buying or selling, I do not hesitate to send you to them, your local Mississippi Land Bank branch office. You're going to like the people. They're going to like you. I mean, it's just I don't hesitate to to endorse them because uh, I've gotten to meet the people over the years, and they're as fine as they come. Um, and so, yeah, you know, if you're a, a farmer, obviously that's right up their alley, but maybe it's not even farming, farmland. Maybe it's in a recreational property, a place to build a dream home, anything land-related. Hit them up if you're in North Mississippi. It's mslandbank.com. All right, here's some audio for you from practice. This would have been, I guess, a couple of days ago on Tuesday I was out there. And it's one of those things, like, you know, I've been to a lot of practices so far, and this happens at every practice. And I've noticed it. I just sort of take it for granted, and I never did – actually report on it but the other day i was standing there i was talking to jay perry and i said hey jay uh tell me about this like where'd that come from he gave me a little backstory anyway uh here's the audio you'll see what i'm talking about they do this at every practice and i really like it i think you will too this is the gosh what is today this is the tuesday practice full pads got a team period going on so it's 11 on 11 like scrimmaging and what they do is they have a guy with a microphone who over a loudspeaker over the PA calls out what happened on the play each time. And he's keeping score, offense versus defense, but he does it the entire practice. So after each play is run, you'll hear his voice. Everybody out here hears his voice, and he either credits the offense or credits the defense. Just like that right there. So 
he credits a catch. And then 16-7 offense. 16-7 offense. So and then he's letting everybody know that the offense is ahead 16 to 7 right now and however they're keeping score. So it's a really cool thing uh, that they do here. And somebody told me it goes back to Urban Meyer, something Urban Meyer started doing, and that is every play in practice has a result, win or lose, and they keep score throughout the whole thing. Thought y'all might find that interesting. So I thought that was pretty cool. It's just a way to frankly keep score in everything that you do. It's uh competitive it's sort of it's competitive anyway but it really sort of jacks it up another notch in terms of the competitiveness and it's just a fun way to kind of you have something that threads the whole practice together anyway i thought you'd enjoy that i really like that idea okay next up mike leach i put some thoughts out there on twitter this week and yeah it was spark what it was i had a friend of mine that called me he left a voicemail uh, yeah, I'm of that generation. We still leave voicemails. I got a voicemail. I called him back, and then he was explaining to me and and read something to me that um, had been said by some uh, some other media member regarding Mike Leach. And the gist of it was was an I think an interview, and it was in response to a question about Mike Leach at Mississippi State. But it was, in my opinion, really off base. You know, this guy's thoughts were that Mike Leach just shows up and calls the plays and then that's it you know he doesn't do anything else or isn't sort of a connecting with people there or on campus or team or coach or fans or whatever and I don't know I, I everybody's entitled to their own opinion but when someone reports something about my school or my coach or my team and reports something as if it's sort of factual based on sources and then that information turns out to be not even close to reality i mean not even close then it reflects poorly on one of two people either the person reporting it or the source one or the other or both now you know far be it for me to accuse anybody of doing this but it could be that sometimes people say they have sources when they don't have sources or they say that they have a connection when they don't really have a connection. That's one possibility. But, you know, another is somebody misleads you. It happens all the time in media. Trust me, I know. You know, you think you got somebody giving you information, and you, you, you go through it long enough, eventually you'll find somebody gives you information that it ought to be trustworthy and they ought to be also, and it isn't. <laughs> and it isn't good information. You get burned, you know. So those things happen too. Um, but... Anyway, to reiterate, to reiterate what I put out on Twitter, my observation is that Coach Leach, he not only isn't, um, isn't concerned with perception, outside perception, what people think of him, what anybody for that matter thinks of how he does things. He's not only not concerned with it, he's it's to the point that he's not even like aware that outside perception exists okay and i'm just being honest with you whether i somebody like that somebody like leach who takes that approach whether i agree with an opinion or an idea of his or not a position of his or not that's beside the point i admire people who go through life that way 
Uh, I try to. I don't always ring that bell, but I try to. Okay, so the fact that okay, so the fact that that's the way he is, in my opinion, really is off-putting for a lot of media people, a lot of sports media people. Okay, and here's what I mean by that: someone who is very genuine. Okay, and does not have a concern whatsoever with whether someone likes him or not is um, not common in the media world, and it's not common a lot of times, you know, the higher level of sports. And media people, sports media people that, you know, you go up the ladder, they are really accustomed to. Uh, lots of folks out there in the sports world uh, putting on that fake smile and putting on that fake buddy-buddy and patting each other on the back and, you know, the fake Twitter endorsement and, and all that kind of stuff because there's this idea that everybody needs pu- public, I'm sorry, needs positive publicity, needs, you know, a positive message about, the coach or the program to constantly flow through those upper echelons, big platform media stuff, because it has a great effect on what I, you know, recruiting, whatever it is, I don't know. So they kind of get used to the fakeness. If that's, that's just my observation. Now, not everybody is that way. It's, it's not all this isn't a big, broad paintbrush statement here. Not everybody's that way, but many are. And I would tell you that there are some people at the highest level of sports and certainly at the highest level of sports media who simply cannot handle someone who isn't concerned with what they think. It's off-putting. It makes them mad. How dare you not kiss the, my ring? How dare you not want me or care if I say positive things about you? How dare you not care if I like you or not? I'm used to people giving a, you know, at least perception that they care what I think. Okay, so you get where I'm coming from. I think some people in sports media can't come to grips with a person, with people like Coach Leach, who are, again, not only not concerned with outside perception, not even aware of it. Because a lot of those people are 100% opposite. To them, fake is normal. I think Coach Leach, whether you like him or not, here's one thing you can say about him. He's real. He is what he is every single time. He's real. He's a real thing. And for those reasons, I'm a big fan of his. And in regards to, you know, the whole thing of not being connected or, you know, whatever that particular idea is, um, it couldn't be further from the truth. And I was just looking, going back and looking at some of the things that I know and others know. Okay, you consider this. Coach Leach is allowing local media to come to every single practice. When's the last time that happened? I mean, I, I don't know if it has happened, okay, at State. You got uh, other schools. I know here recently, Ole Miss, you know, Coach Kiffin, Ole Miss, shut people out of practice, shut the media out, get them out. <laughs> Most coaches do those kinds of things. 
<clears throat> you know, he's allowed them to come every practice, never even an issue. Just, okay, let them come. I don't care. They can come. I appreciate that. I know the media does. He has appeared on every local radio show. You don't have any other coaches who have. Kiffin won't. Saban won't. You know, all those guys, to their credit, and they're winners. They do it their way. But you say, okay, well, he isn't stretching out his hand and getting to know people and letting them into the program. You can't say that about Mike Leeds. He's, he goes on every show. The guy never turns down photo ops and autograph requests, whether he's in a restaurant, whether he's out and about on campus. You know, he went to the Neshoba County Fair, the people that went with him, uh, they were like, man, he was totally in his element. He didn't even want to leave. He was a little bit upset. We had to leave. He <laughs> can't wait to go back. You know, during the pandemic, he's out there, and I'm told it was his idea. Go get some coffee and donuts, took it to the fire department. Last week, he's out there. He goes to band practice. He's out there talking to the band. You know, we had this scrimmage in the stadium last Saturday, and I'm sitting there watching it. We kept noticing this billows of smoke coming up from somewhere outside the stadium on the south end. We couldn't see where exactly it was originating, but we could see the smoke. And at one point, there was a bunch of sirens and stuff that came by, and we thought, is that related? Or are we on fire? But it wasn't related. But regardless, what it was is he had the Mississippi Beef Council there at Saturday scrimmage, and you know he's supposed to go do a media interview, media obligation after the scrimmage, which he did. But he told the media guys, I want to go thank these guys for – feed my team, and then, I'm, then I'll do the interview stuff. Um, you know, he did a Zoom conference with a couple of elementary schools talking to the whole school. Um, it, all of that stuff is appreciated. None of it he has to do. Okay, so anybody who spreads any other narrative about Leeds, you want to criticize his offense, you want to criticize something he says in a press conference, you want to criticize a tweet, go on ahead. That's fine. Feel free. I'm sure he doesn't mind it either. But to just spread something that's completely and utterly false and say that it's based on a connection is about the laziest thing. You know, it's just, I don't know, it's, it's just another sign of the, uh, what, what would you call it, the de-evolution, um, sort of the backslidden nature of sports media these days. It really is pitiful. It doesn't reflect on the people that comes from and it doesn't reflect very highly either on the people and the networks that they work for. And that's just the honest truth. All right, uh, next up, you had a serious injury to Jordan Davis. You know, I told you on episode three that we'd seen him have to leave the scrimmage. It did not look good. They, They didn't put like an air cast on his leg or anything like that, you know, but they did put him on the back of a cart and drove him off the field there. And so he was unable to finish the scrimmage. And it's a blow. It certainly is. I think Jordan was in line to have a big year. He was a starter on defense, pass rusher uh, in that end position. So it moves some guys up. Um, you know, it, it puts, um, you know, a spotlight on some of the others, obviously. It puts a really, a, I think, a big spotlight on Randy Charlton, who transferred in from UCF. Jack Harris, who will step up and get more snaps now. Crumity was already going to move around and play some in and rush because you've got three excellent players at tackle and you're playing a three-man front. So there, a lot of times they're only on the field one at a time unless you play one of them at end. And Crumity's this great kid, hard worker, going to have a big year. And so he may get a few more snaps, who knows, on the outside now. 
And a guy like DeMonte Russell, he gets a chance to step up, who to me, he looks really good. His, there's so many of those guys, those you know, younger guys, but not just young guys, but so many of them that you can look at them in practice and just tell a tremendous difference after getting to go through a full year of consistent uh, strength and conditioning pro- program, which they didn't have in 2020. So um, that's my thoughts on that. You hate it. The biggest thing is you hate it for Jordan Davis. I think he's going to have a big year. Thankfully, he does have an option of eligibility left uh, to get well and come back and play for you some more. All right, next up, uh, I mentioned to you there's a player I wanted to talk about who you better get a good eye on him now because he's not going to be here long, and that is he'll be off to the NFL sooner than later, and that's Martin Emerson, the corner. This week on Tuesday, for instance, at practice, it's kind of been this way in every practice, and I've noticed it, but uh, Tuesday was just one of those. It was a full-patch practice, and I especially noticed it, just how competitive the reps are between Makai Polk and Martin Emerson. Uh, it's almost worth me, uh, you know, jumping in the car, driving an hour to get there just to see those two kind of go at it, uh, to be totally honest with you. I mean, it's really uh, impressive. But Emerson is big time. You know, he's got several first round draft pick projections. Um, you know, and again, it just kind of depends on who you ask. There's a million different services out there that, you know, project one thing or another. I noticed, you know, there's recent articles in July from folks at Sports Illustrated, you know, mentioning him as uh, potentially a a first-round pick. There are mock drafts out there that have him going late first, early second. There are people I saw at practice talking about that. Um it, again, it's not just one service, it's several. 6'2", 200 pounds, maybe slightly under 200. And one thing that jumps out at me, too, is he's he's so good at playing the ball in the air. You know, once it's, once it's in the air, he's so good at playing the football. He continues to show that at practice. He kind of has a knack for uh, the breakup. And he's a tackler, too. He's got the size and he's a tackler. I think the thing that impresses me the most about him at practice is how serious he takes it. You know, he he may be someone, and I just don't see it, who jokes around a little bit, but I don't see it very much. I mean, he's locked in at practice. He takes it very seriously. He's either low-key or mad. It seems like one or the other. And he may not be that way at all away from the practice field, but he really seems focused and locked in when I'm out there. And most guys who are great players, who are future you know, NFL high draft picks, they kind of have that too. And it's what helps their draft status is that it's a job to them. that They're not out there just to have fun. Um, and he's that way. He and – and I may have mentioned this in an earlier podcast too, but Emerson and Forbes both – They've impressed me in that they're they're not necessarily older guys. You know, Emerson's what a third year player, and going into this year, so only two years under his belt. Forbes was a true freshman last year, but this will be his second year. But they really have taken charge of their position group. It looks to me at practice, I've seen them both coaching up young guys. Um, you know, I mentioned to you Forbes. I saw last week there was a practice where they were doing some goal line stuff full speed against the offense, passing drills. And 
it was uh, seven on seven stuff, and Forbes was on the side after he had just run his rep in the year of the young corner who was on the field running that play, telling him where to line up, telling him back up, giving him a heads up of what was coming, and coaching him up. That was from Forbes. Well, Tuesday out there, I saw Emerson. They were running some drills um, that required some pretty – uh, fast rotation. What I mean by that is I think it was a screen drill. The offense, every day they throw screens on the outside that require uh, two receivers to block versus two DBs. And it's a very physical kind of hand-to-hand type drill, and they rotate guys in one after the other, and they do it really fast. And Emerson was on one of the young guys and told him, get in there. You didn't run your reps. Get in there. And the kid said, I did go. And Emerson said, well, I didn't see you, so get in there. And the kid grabs his helmet and runs in there. You know, So he's you know, the, the elder spokesman in the group, and he really kind of has taken charge. And you know, I think it bodes well for the future of the position because, look, those younger guys know Emerson is a guy who he's going to hear his name called on day one most likely. And depending on how the year goes, it could fluctuate, certainly. But uh, I think you're going to – if he's healthy, you're going to see a big year from him, and, and I think his draft stock is only going to continue to go up. All right, a quick message, and then we'll answer some of your questions I got on social media. This podcast is supported by Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance. Farm Bureau, go with the home team, and they are your home team. Their agents are local in all 82 counties around the state of Mississippi. So if you have an issue, it's really the way it ought to be with any business, but it's certainly the way it is with Farm Bureau. And that's why I recommend them is you get to talk to somebody local. If you need to make a claim and, you know, that's what insurance is for. And unfortunately stuff happens. And so it look, when it does, it's good to know that the person that handles your insurance, you know, them face to face, they live a mile away. You go to church together, you're in carpool line at school together. You know, them. they're right there. You don't have to wait until Monday and Call some 800 number and sit on hold and talk to somebody three states away. It's somebody local, and that's why we call them the home team, and that's why you need to give them a shot at Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance. You can check them out online. Find an agent near you at favrates.com. All right, let's uh, look at some of the questions that came in on social media. I put a feeler out there on Twitter and on Facebook. We'll do Twitter first. And the first question I got was from Jeremy. He said, how does Leach attack drop eight? Talking about drop eight coverage. And uh, what he means by that, defenses that drop eight defenders in coverage and only rush three. You know, how does Mike Leach attack that? It's not nearly as complicated as anybody would have you believe. It, It really isn't, okay? And it starts up front. So let me say to anyone that has discussed that, and looked at that and been concerned with that since last year. And we know the reason why, because in week one, State pummeled LSU, threw the ball all over them 600 yards, and then week two, Barry Odom and Arkansas's defense came in there and shut it down, held it to 14 points, and got K.J. Costello to turn the ball over a bunch and and all that, and and they did it by rushing three and dropping eight in coverage. And everybody's like, oh, no. And it took them a while to figure it out, and then Kentucky did it, and you turned it over, and all this kind of stuff. Let me tell you that the answers to that are really simple. It's not complicated. And it's why I think Leach and his offensive staff and stuff, they never really have 
They never really freak out about it. Number one is you run the ball at it. Okay. And not just run the ball, but you got to hurt them with it. So it starts up front. So I would go, if I'm numbering off a, you know, a list of things of how you attack drop eight coverage. Number one, it starts up front. You have to have an offensive line who, if we check at the line of scrimmage or if we call a run play, when and if we do, and I know they didn't do it much last year, but I tried to tell everybody last year, I don't know how much everyone listened, last year was not about 2020. And to that coaching staff, last year was about 2021 and beyond, okay? So, anyway, it starts up front. You have to have five offensive linemen who, whether it's a call or a check, who they're in a defense that's putting three guys with their hands down, and even if they're trying to adjust, we still fire off and we hurt them with our run game when we call it. So it starts up front. It also starts up front with the offensive line versus that defense. They are the ones who determine whether you beat it or not. Offensive line, it ain't quarterbacks and receivers or running backs. Offensive line is the one who determines whether you beat drop eight, as far as I'm concerned. Because when you do throw against it, then what? Well, five linemen, I got to definitely block three guys, period. End of story. And when those two things start to happen up front, offensive line starts to do that, teams not only – do they have a hard time when they just rush three or put three with their hands down, they're planning on dropping eight? A lot of times teams stop doing it. <clears throat> and the tape will show you that. And it's just like, I mean, these people in the past, you go back to when Mike Leach was at Washington State and there was so much out there about, oh, well, the Washington Huskies have solved the uh, air raid offense. And you know, the Washington Huskies have the key and they know what to do. Well, they had defensive linemen they were putting in the NFL. They were handily winning the line of scrimmage. Um, And frankly, if that's what's going on, it almost doesn't matter what you run or what you call. Games are won and lost on the line of scrimmage primarily. People don't want to hear it, but it's the truth. Coaches will tell you that. So how does Leach attack the drop eight? Jeremy starts up front. And let me just throw a little more uh, uh, flavor onto that discussion. I was at practice earlier this week. There was a team 11 on 11 going. Okay, so it's offense versus defense. It's full speed. And the only person they aren't tackling is the quarterback, that sort of thing. And it's really competitive. And it was physical, back and forth. And both sides were making some plays here and there. And then all of a sudden, the offense pops a running play that essentially went to the house. I think it was Dylan Johnson who was the running back. It doesn't matter who it was. The the reason I'm bringing it up is because immediately when the running play popped and it took off, and I think it was going to be a touchdown there, uh, offensive staff – Offensive players who are lined up behind the offense are yelling, screaming, celebrating, and a bunch of them are going, great check. That's a great check, Will. Attaboy, outstanding check. And so what it was is Will Rogers, the quarterback, checked into the play. And it wasn't called. Okay, He gets to the line of scrimmage. He's got a certain formation offensively. They've got a pass play called. He sees something defensively, and bang, he checked into it. 
and the check worked and it hits a run play, it goes to the house and everybody executed it. Okay. So here's the thing. Last year, they didn't have spring training. They didn't have any summer stuff. You go into the fall, people forget that like Will Rogers, who finished the season for you, your most productive quarterback, who was an 18-year-old kid. The last football he played was in high school at Brandon High School, a true freshman, and he missed the first two weeks of the season. Remember that? He was out. They couldn't have gone to him had they wanted to. Do you think that he was in a position to do a whole lot of changing plays and checking at the line of scrimmage as an 18-year-old freshman out of high school with no spring training? Well, the answer is no. Okay? So you're asking me, how do you attack a drop eight? One, you're better on the line of scrimmage. Two, you have the option to run or pass versus a drop eight. Three, the quarterback knows how to get in the right play when they give him certain looks based on what's called, and he's checking at the line of scrimmage. Four, when he checks, guys who were freshman running backs last year and new players in the offensive line know how to execute that check. It's one thing if the quarterback knows what check we need. It's another thing if the other 10 guys know how to do it. Okay, and then the other thing is, the last thing you get down to is how consistently do you throw the ball and complete it underneath. Okay, so last year in the early part, in that second game against Arkansas and then against Kentucky, those defenses went, okay, guys, we can't play man-to-man stuff and run with these guys. They'll throw it over our head all day. It's the way the offense is built. So we're going to back up. We're going to force them to complete easy, short passes underneath. We're going to fly up and tackle. It's going to force them to have to go 14, 15 plays to get down the field and score, and we're going to bet – They can't do that without making a mistake. They can't run that many plays underneath without making a mistake. And guess what? They were right. Costello was turning the ball over and throwing it to the defense and getting hit and all that kind of stuff. But you noticed at the end of the year, with uh, more reps under their belt, Will Rogers started beating it. Go watch the Georgia game. Georgia did the same thing early in the game. They're dropping, and that first drive – they drop, and, and Will Rogers just completes it underneath right on down the field, and they kick a field goal on the first drive. And then they have another scoring drive by doing what? Running the ball and throwing it underneath just over and over and over. And Georgia, um, a top five, top ten type team, eventually said to themselves, well, we, we, we've got to do something else to heat the quarterback up. we got to go after him. We can't sit back here anymore. He's beating it. And what did they do? They jumped into some disguised stuff where they were matching routes, which is a man-to-man concept. And as soon as they did it, he throws a man-to-man corner route to Jaden Wally, who hit the sideline and ran 50 yards for a touchdown. As soon as they jumped in, man, he beat it. What I'm saying is reps, all those things. There was a whole lot of freak out going on about drop eight. It's this magic defense. Well, no, it's not. Long answer to what I thought was the most interesting question. A few of the others, real quick, here on Twitter. Uh, Patton had a question. He said, compared to how you practice back in your day, how many more passes do the quarterbacks make in practice under Mike Leach? Well, they certainly throw it more, but here's the thing about that. You're talking about uh, modern-day college football. does not. They are not allowed to have two practices in one day. They are not allowed to have back-to-back days of full pads full contact practices, they have fewer practices overall. So I think they throw it more during a typical two-hour practice than we ever did in terms of reps in one practice. However, Patton, I'll remind you, like for instance, when I was a freshman in 95, we showed up as freshmen. We had 
three straight days of freshman two-a-days. And then the upperclassmen reported for 13 days of two-a-days, consecutive days of two-a-days, twice a day for 13 straight days. So for freshmen that year, we had 15 because we went three days as freshmen and then 13 days with the older guys, right? My entire career, we had a minimum of 13 straight days of two-a-day practices in fall camp, and that's leading up to school starting. And we didn't have one practice a day until school started. We looked forward to school starting, so we only had to practice once. So we practiced a lot more. And so the overall numbers may actually balance out. When I was a sophomore going to that 97 season, I worked really, really hard in the summer. I had a bad year that year at quarterback until like a stretch kind of in the second half. But I had a lot of arm fatigue and shoulder pain in uh, – fall practice that I didn't tell anybody about. I didn't even tell the team or trainers or coaches or nobody about because I didn't want to miss reps. I thought if I missed reps, I'd get benched. Turns out I got benched anyway. But I hit it, and I know it's because we were doing so much throwing because I did overdid it in the summer leading up to that season. So I don't know that they actually throw it more now because they just simply can't practice as much. Taylor, you asked me on Twitter that you'd like to hear thoughts on realistic numbers for the offense this season based on what you've seen. Uh, I, I'll just be honest with you, Taylor. That's probably a question for someone else. I'm not a numbers guy, number one. Um, not a big stats guy, number two, unless I'm looking up something specific or following it during a ball game. But projecting season numbers is just kind of over my head. It'd be a question for somebody else. But I do appreciate you sending it along. My friend uh, – <clears throat> John Paul, Fat Andy, he wanted me – he said, go through who you think will start at each position. <laughs> Number one, that would take me a while, but it's a great idea. And what I'll do is I'll save it for episode five. Uh, John Paul, thank you. And then Joe, my friend Joe, said he wanted me to interview John Paul, Fat Andy. Maybe, Joe, we save that for episode five, too. I'll walk down the street go to his house, knock on the door, and record the whole thing, catch him when he's not aware. Um, so I'll do that <laughs> and appreciate y'all's questions. Okay, uh, Facebook. I got a few questions here on Facebook, and um, I'll see what those are. If you've never checked out the Facebook page, I'm going to just give you a quick heads up. If you're a listener to the podcast but you've never looked at it, it's just Matt Wyatt Media on Facebook. The actual address is facebook.com slash Radio Wyatt. Okay, so check that out because the the daily radio show streams there and I post a lot of the video content there also. But like I you know, stuff like this too. We'll we'll do some live stuff and you can submit some questions that way. So go like the Facebook page if you haven't already. I'd appreciate that. So on Facebook, Christopher asks, How in tune are Will Rogers and the receivers? That's the first part of your question. Um, it looks good to me so far. You know, it's just watching practice. You need to see them against an actual live opponent, somebody other than their own defense. <clears throat> but I think they've taken a step. You know, the question is how big of a step. You would love for Will Rogers and Makai Polk and Jameer Calvin to have had another year together. I mean, those two receivers are certainly going to play. They're new, however, and this is your first go-around together. So – you say how in tune. To me, it looks good, and it looks like they've taken a step. You know, they're playing against a pretty doggone good defense in practice every day also, including a couple of corners that are going to play NFL football, particularly Martin Emerson. And, 
you know, so from what I see, it looks pretty good. I'm, I'm willing to say that. The rest of what you said, Christopher, how far the receivers come as far as route running, that's a huge difference. That's one thing to me looks – it's really helping the quarterbacks is, you know, year two for guys like Malik Heath and Caleb Ducking on the outside under Steve Spurrier Jr. Year two for Wally and Austin Williams and uh, those guys on the inside. You know, and I, I haven't even mentioned Tulu Griffin on the outside. He's missed a few practices, but he's going to have, I think, a really big year. And it's year for two, year two for him running routes. It's just you can tell that they are a, a lot more in sync with where they are supposed to be and how and when they are supposed to be there. So yeah, it's more crisp, definitely. Rich, your question on Facebook: Compare what you've seen in practice this year with your experience of fall practice under Jackie Wayne. Intensity, physicality. I like the intensity and physicality. They practice fast. They get in that whole team, but especially on offense, they get in a ton of reps in a short period of time. I'm not so sure we were firing off our reps quite as fast as this bunch does. Um, I know that this offense has the receivers. It, it, there's no telling how many miles these receivers run during a typical week. The amount of running that really the whole team because of how fast they practice. And that's why, you know, I noted one thing that was different. I called my dad on the way home from practice on Tuesday and we were just talking about it. I said, you know, one thing's different, dad, is like guys who aren't in the rep, they – a lot of times they'll take a knee, they'll take their helmet off, you know. They don't sit down on their butt, but they'll take a knee, take a helmet off, walk around with their helmet off, you know, whatever. And, and when I was playing, it was much more old school back then. You'd always have guys saying, you know, don't sit down, get up, stand up, you know. Don't take your helmet off. <clears throat> it's more, you know, regimented in that stuff. But I think this modern-day stuff, they don't really care because they're, they're, they're running so much and getting in so many more reps. You know, the rest between reps is is fewer and farther in between. So it's different in that way. The intensity is still the same. Physicality is pretty good, but they they can't be as physical as we used to be, period. You ask guys who played on the line of scrimmage for Coach Sherrill in the 90s, or and especially those Coach Jolie done defenses, is a man, what they do now physically is like a vacation compared to what those guys went through. I mean, our linebackers, our offensive line, our defensive line back in the day that played for Coach Sherrill, it was just – I'm talking brutal how physical practices were, every one of them. And it's just the way everybody was back then. And and it's just not that way anymore because, frankly, NCAA uh, rules don't allow them to have two-a-days. They don't allow them to have back-to-back full-pad practices. It's just a whole different deal. So when they so what I see is is their the coaches are really trying to make up for a lot of that um, in a short period of time when they can have contact. Dale said, "I'm wondering if you've seen any noticeable approaches by the coaching staff as opposed to past coaching methods." He said, "I remember the first Dan Mullen, when first that uh, Dan Mullen came, I saw a significant change even on the sideline during the games that wasn't the same in previous tenures." Dale said, I saw more sideline coaches huddling, coaching, anything from the staff that you've noticed. Um, not really. Not really anything, you know, all that different um, in terms of the coaching staff, just to be honest with you. I mean, it's pretty 
it's a pretty pro approach. It's not, I mean, Coach Leach is kind of old school, and there's a lot of old school stuff, you know, keeping score. If you lose, if your unit loses that particular drill, you have to do up downs when it's over. Um, if you don't get it right, you got to run it over, run it over. But <clears throat> in terms of the way the coaches handle things, I don't really notice anything that jumps out at me as being all that much different. Uh, Matt, I'm sorry, Norman said, Matt, do you feel the potential for more 10 plus yard plays will be there for the taking with the air raid this year? Yeah, I think there will be more, Norman, because they are going to do a little bit better job when they do run the ball. They are going to run the ball a little more. They'll have some variations in their run game, probably wrinkles they didn't have. Uh, and they, for the most part, will do a better job completing the ball underneath against softer zone stuff. And that's just going to that's gonna manipulate defenses a little more into giving you the downfield opportunity. Um, that's what it'll do. Some of it is going to ma- – Norman, some of it is going to be all about how willing are certain defenses – to come up and take a chance. It's just like I told you, if you look at Georgia last year, why was Georgia one of the first ones against Will Rogers once Will started getting to where he was beating the underneath coverage more and more consistently? Why was Georgia one of the first ones to take a chance and jump into some more man-to-man before you, you know, not mentioning Alabama, but why was Georgia? Well, because Georgia's got four- and five-star athletes, and they're like, look, we can cover them. We can do it. We'll take a chance. We'll come up and jump into man they beat LSU playing man, they ain't gonna beat us. And, you know, so that's some of it. If you I'm just saying if, if you play a Louisiana Tech and they are less willing to give you man to man down a field opportunities, well, you may not see as much. And you just you, you run a lot more plays and and their def, you, you try to make it where their defense can't get off the field, you know. So you play that cat and mouse game of trying to see at what point will they break if our consistency on the Underneath things in the run game, if we, can our consistency eventually break them into giving us what we want, and then we hit the bomb? Michael, a question on Facebook, said, do you feel like our offensive scheme will have any adjustments from last year just based on facing better defensive fronts, i.e. change in split width? No, Michael, they're not going to change what they do or how they coach it and the width of those splits because one of the reasons is you want to keep that you want to keep that outside rush, that five technique, you know, outside rush defensive end. You want to keep him farther away. The wide splits put him another yard or two away from you as a quarterback. If we're going to be throwing a football lot, we want that. Teams are going to run twists more to try to foul up your protection. But they're not going to change those splits. And so, you know, offensive scheme, I think there will be some more running involved than there were than there was at times last year. Uh, you even saw that in a bowl game. Now the conditions on the field might have had something to do with it. But you'll see a little bit more of that. Variations, maybe so. Maybe another play or two that involves a quarterback reading it, uh, forcing them to come up. I, I, I think there will be some, you know, a few of those things. But for the most part, they're just going to try to execute what they do better. And you know, anybody, frankly, that flips out about it is probably not really looking at it all that closely. Um, so, but they know, I mean, and, and it is obvious you want to go win and beat these teams with better players. Everything you do, you got to do it better. And, you know, like I said, including your play up front on the line of scrimmage as an offensive line. If that bunch 
not only in pass pro, but when you do run the ball, if they are better, more consistent, they should be, then it just it can really change things for you and really make the offense go. All right, that'll do it. I appreciate everyone tuning in. Again, thanks to Mississippi Land Bank for their support of this podcast, and thanks to the Farm Bureau Insurance of Mississippi, and I will see y'all on the next one.